The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's going on, everyone? This is Alex Jeteris here with the next episode of the Knicks, Jets, Etc. podcast. And as always, let me give you a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about today. So one, we're going to talk about uh, this J.J. Redick... Uh, the old man three, whatever his podcast name is with Mello and just get into the hot topic of the triangle and what we gathered from the podcast, though, the little that we listened to it. Then we're going to talk about who John and I really want at the eighth and 27th pick of the NBA draft after having Chris Percyinen and Jeffrey Campbell, two draft guys coming on here and giving their knowledge to us. And, you know, hopefully we bring on some more people to talk right before the draft comes. And last but not least, John and I, we haven't gone into this yet, so you're going to hear a raw, raw, raw discussion of a topic that came up today of, did the Knicks fail Ewing because of a tweet that we had just saw on Twitter, thanks to our producer, Ricey. So yeah, that's going to be interesting. And then, John, what do we got for Etcetera today? What's up, Alex? For Etcetera today, we'll be talking a little about the boring NBA Finals uh, and how we think that'll... Uh, end up shaping up and as we are recording on Sunday before game three and then we're definitely going to talk about the MLB playoffs baby this is it we got the the final four on both sides and let's just get into it because the Yankees man the Yankees are are holding us up as human beings that's for sure the Yankees are coming through as why they're our favorite team besides the Knicks and the Jets that we just love to talk about but let's get into it right now all right so Ricey Kick that. Jets Etc. Podcast. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my buddy, the man out in L.A. right now, just living the dream, John Malika. John, how's it going out there today? What's up, man? Coming to you live from my uh, my niece's bedroom, my one-year-old niece's bedroom. <laughs> uh, L.A. is good. Uh, my brother lives in the valley, so it's like 105 degrees out right now, so it's not, not cool out here. 105 degrees uh nah is it is it wait is it 105 and humid or 105 and dry they don't believe in humidity out here they don't know what water is they don't they don't do that stuff see i can get i can get behind that without any humidity i can take dry heat you know uh when i used when when i go to greece it's very hot like during the summers it's like 105 110 and Jesus, like, it's nice when you don't have anything sticking, like, you feel like your clothes are just sticking to you, you don't have to have, like, your armpits out like a freaking airplane. I remember just being in the, the DR, like, a couple years ago for a vacation with my family, and, you know, we had to crank up that AC so high, bro. It was in August. It's like, you know, the, the tickets are kind of cheap. Hurricane season's right around the corner. You can go get a nice trip down to the Caribbean. My God, bro. I walked out in a t-shirt. I was like walking like I was like a, doing a jet celebration. You know what I mean? That's how bad it was. I was like, yo, just 
I was like, yo, I was doing social distancing before social distancing was a thing. It's like, yo, stay six feet away from me. <laughs> best. Yeah, no, seriously, it was, it was bad. I didn't even want to be around me. My, I was just sweating like a demon. It was disgusting. But uh, yeah, man. And the weather, the weather is cool. It's just, it's just. I mean, besides the fact that the NBA season obviously got moved a little bit, it's just super weird to have like normal October baseball, like playoff baseball, and it's hot outside. Like it's just, it's it's, it's really weird for, for me to like uh, understand that like the Yankees are actually in the playoffs, and it's about to be the AL, you know, the ALDS, and it's hot. Like I'm like extremely hot outside. Yeah, I. I'm not used to. I mean, we're New Yorkers, bro. Like baseball in October, it's what 60 degrees outside. You're already wearing a hoodie. You're checked in to like watching the Yankees play and hopefully make a deep run. And the Yankees are now in the ALDS, but we'll talk about that later, as you said in the beginning, for etc. But hey, let's get into our first topic. All right, uh, John, did you hear? Uh, was it the old man uh, three? What, what, what's the name of the JJ Reddick's podcast? I don't. Even, I honestly don't even know. Yeah, who cares? No free ads here on the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. But JJ Reddick does have some uh, really interesting guests on, and he he even teased uh, the Mellow interview, saying that he's going to have somebody on who rarely does uh, full interview, full candid interviews, uh, and that is Mellow. And it was a really interesting interview regarding the Knicks because. You know, Mello is forever tied with New York, even even though I guess he really didn't win with us or anything like that. He's just he's super tied to us because of the way he came here and honestly, the way he left um, and everything in between with the Phil Jackson and the triangle, which I know you want to get right into. So I'll just ask you straight up. What did you think about uh, the triangle and Phil Jackson and the Knicks? prior to this prior to uh mellow's comments on it and if that if, did it change at all after uh you heard what mellow had to say from the inside you know i don't it didn't when phil came here i think i was like most knicks fans who were you know ecstatic to get one not only a guy who was part of that championship winning knicks team but also we got the was it the the Zen master himself who worked well with Kobe, who worked well with Jordan, worked with Shaq, all these top players, right, and had them excel. Um, and, you know, there was like some glimmer of hope that <laughs> he was going to do it with Melo and the way he talked about Melo in the beginning, that he saw what Melo could do and how Melo could, uh, could thrive in his system and all that type of stuff because, you know, as people know about the triangle, it's a lot of body movement. It's a lot of like... A quick reads, just the, feeling the flow of the game, um, and I was hopeful. But then looking back on it, obviously, like during the middle, during the thick of it, when we had Derek Fisher and Jeff Hornacek running the the Knicks, like oh my god, I that was just those were those were really dark times. And for some reason the Hornacek years are just like completely erased from my mind. I don't know why. I just feel like it's skipped from like Derek Fisher. I just like we just skip in my brain. Hornacek is just like gone. It's just skipped from Fisher to Fisdale and like nothing else happened. See, it doesn't really like to go off track for a second. It doesn't really like actually stay off, get out of my mind because that was actually the, we had a really good start. We we're actually in like the playoff race at the beginning of the season before uh, KB. KB well, actually before Timmy got hurt, 
and then KP towards ACL. We, we came out of the gates red hot. It looked like a really solid like one-two punch with Timmy and KP in the beginning and giving, giving fans like some optimism that maybe we can go to the playoffs this year after the long drought. And who knows? It looked like, you know, whatever was going on was being fine. Um, and that's when actually was, that's when we, um, that's when we fired, uh, Phil, right? Beginning of that year. We, yep. Yeah. Cause we got in, uh, Perry. Mills got promoted. The last guy that we got was Frank. And I think, I think for, for that moment, there was just like glimmer of hope that was just quickly pulled the rug under where you saw Timmy couldn't be that guy. Cause we put too much. I, and the one game I can't, I cannot forget. I forget who it was against, but. Timmy gets the rebound after a missed shot and then quickly put, puts it back up with 24 seconds before the rule changed to having 14 seconds if the team got it again, right? It went to 24 seconds and he just chucked it back up for like a terrible mid-range, contested mid-range. I was like, what are we doing? Like, dude, what the hell? You take that play. Like, I doesn't remember that exact play. And in my, I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just like, why didn't you just pull it back out, reset it, and just start it again? Like, you, you, you burn clock and we had the lead. We had the lead. That's what that I think that was against the Nuggets, if I'm remembering correctly. I may be wrong, but I just remember that game. I was just so aggravated. And the reason I remember this game vividly is because I went to Jersey to go hang out with my boys to go watch the Super Bowl that day. It was a Super Bowl when the, the Eagles beat the Patriots. And I remember this day exactly because I was so aggravated on the way over there. I was like, are you kidding me? Why did that happen? It was, oh my God, so frustrating. But anyway. Uh, I think Knicks lost to ruin your holidays. Like they love to show up on like Christmas Day or like Martin Luther King Jr. Day or St. Patty's Day. Any like big day, they just like to show up, go on TV, lose for us. Or like, all right, great. Thank you. <laughs> like Super Bowl Sunday. Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. And you, you can always count on that, which is why like I love the team. But then at the same time, I'm like, why do I do this to myself? I just know what I'm getting myself into. But getting back on track with, uh, you know, the triangle, I think watching the whole thing play out with Fisher and like Hornacek was part, there for part of it. What, wasn't he with the uh, beginning of Phil? Was he? I can't remember. I can't remember. I believe that Hornacek was definitely with Phil Jackson. Yeah. Okay. So just watching him, watching them try to run the triangle and Mello said it right is that they were trying to run a triangle system without the right players like we did not have the complementary pieces for mellow to execute properly and it's clear and the other thing is that we ran it like exclusively and at that and when you just run a certain play exclusively everyone just knows what you're doing and what you're trying to do and can you know expose you trying to do it and on top of that when you don't have the players to execute properly and then you keep running it it just makes it easy for teams to dissect so I agree with him on that. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong about his entire, uh, evaluation of that whole point of like the team. And like Melo was still trying to be Melo. Like he put up like 30 points. And like, I think the one thing I will say this is like, I, I look back and I, I wanted Melo off the team because I just saw that we weren't doing him justice. But I also got frustrated with Melo. Rightfully so, because I feel like Mello could have done a little bit more. But at that point, I st- I'm like, I, when I look back at it, I start to, uh, I wish I wasn't necessarily as harsh as I was on Mello because I think the Knicks 
then just did not help him with the, the, the coaching and the players. And it was a lot of like, a lot of, uh, it was just like a lot of trying of like guys who like, who, who shouldn't be on that team, you know? And I think the first try with like D Rose and Joakim Noah was like, it was, you know, the D Rose move was smart because we only had a year on it to try him out. The, the Noah move was like the more questionable, like, why are you throwing a bag to a guy who we saw was on the decline? Um, but then you bring in Courtney Lee. We had a follow. We had Robin Lopez. It was just like a hodgepodge team. I was like, why are we bringing that? We, the team that Melo should have gone to when he had the chance before we signed with us was the Bulls. And then we brought the Bulls here a little too late, as usual, per Knicks. And I just, it's like, and it's just, I don't know. Like, I agree, I agree with Mel on that point. I, I, we, we did not do him justice. And it was just so easy. Like, you just, like, even if you don't know the triangle, like, well enough to understand, like, how it works, if you just watch the Knicks that time, you just saw everyone knew what they were doing and you could just pick us apart easily. Yeah. I mean, just to hit on the last point, I think that's why actually Mel's going to come back because we're, we're the new Bulls. Um, and I think he wants to be in New York. Uh, especially with the whole KD and Kyrie stealing our name, by the way, the, the, their new Etc. podcast. Oh, nice name, guys. I, it sounds kind of familiar. Very familiar. It's not uh, – I would like some royalty to come away for that. Um, we, Nick Jets, Etc. was established first. <laughs> <laughs> first in time, first in right. Um, <laughs> so we uh, – I as the Knicks – have turned into the Bulls with Tibbs and Taj and paying Joakim Noah to not play. I think we are, uh, I think we're perfect for Melo coming here. But back to the original question about uh, the triangle and Melo on JJ's pod. I think it's really interesting because he's heard the narrative, which I think is kind of, was kind of like through his circle where the, the Otis was on Melo for not buying into the triangle. And it was because he, he was like, so they had like the same premise, right? The, the premise was the people around him aren't good enough. So, so Melo couldn't buy into the triangle. So he would just like take the ball and ISO up for 35 points a game, you know, going whatever, 13 for 27. And even though he's getting the 12 boards and he's getting the points, and he's getting those double doubles. They're giving him the rebounds. Like we're respecting Melo. We're just not winning ball games. So I, I know you're like kind of taking it back for not being so harsh on Melo. And it's always tough to like let your guy go when I guess like we're not in the right situation, like you said. But it's more of he wasn't the right situation for the Knicks either. You know what I mean? He's trying to win. He's trying to. He needs a point guard. He needs you know. He needs a nice squad and he needs to just come in and drop buckets. He's, he, we can't rely on him to, to defend our best guy. You know what I mean? And that's what he was on the Knicks. He was supposed to be our best defender. He was supposed to be our, our superstar, like, like our LeBron, our KD. And he just, he's not. Like, he just, you know, he needs to, like, take a seat back, do his thing. But he's just not the number one guy. So, I think he's kind of, like, saving face a little bit um, with the whole triangle. And Phil Jackson, like, I bought in, but the team stunk. We all, we know, we know that already. That's not news. You know what I mean? I think what he's trying to to make the news out to be was I was a team player. I bought in. I just don't – I just like – as soon as Melo literally left the Knicks, the whole narrative for Melo in New York changed. It, it's, it was so mind-boggling. Like while he's on the Knicks, it's like 
We got to, you know, we got to get rid of Melo. The Knicks are, Knicks are a joke. This is not going to work. Get him off the team. As soon as Melo leaves, how can the Knicks let go of Melo? He's amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it just, it doesn't make, it, obviously it's not logical, but it doesn't make for the perfect marriage when, when, when he's trying to come back here. So I just think this is like him softening the blow to like come back to New York saying it wasn't him. It was the team. He bought in. He's a team player. Look what I did in Portland. I could fit anywhere. I like New York is my squad, especially if Brooklyn is, has the spotlight, right? Like Brooklyn is championship or bust. This might actually be a nice year for Melo, who's who's on a pedestal now because of what he did in the NBA bubble. Come back to New York with the with the Kentucky CAA, you know, fake Bulls Knicks that we got going on right now. And he could be the leader. He could be the champ. Like he's gonna walk in with a hoodie, and and kind of, you know, be be the vet. Yeah, for sure. And. I, I guess I could see your point on thinking about how he could come back, especially like lowering the blow and just getting everyone, you know, on the same page saying, hey, you know, I was a team player. As you pointed out, it wasn't really me. Look at the situation that was put in. I mean, he did this was a last year, right? When he was trying to get back into the league, he went on uh, first take and spoke his story. And then look, Portland Trail Blazers give him a chance, right? So I can actually, I can get on that same page with you and see that he's doing it um, to get ready to come back to New York and probably not sign with resign with Portland if they, it, depending if they want him or not. Although if I, I would like, honestly, I would say if Portland does want him back again, he should go to Portland if he really wants a chance to go contend for a title because it's not happened in New York for however long we're we're not even sniffing playoffs you know depending on how the roster is constructed and there's a lot of talk between getting cp uh van vliet uh dj augustine your favorite guy uh you know we're we're, we're thinking about there's it's all dependent on who we get over here i think if we get chris paul then we can definitely start thinking uh sniffing playoffs if not then uh it's a little it's questionable in my opinion on what that what the rep would actually be uh for Melo to actually come back here if he really wants to if he wants to do that because it doesn't make sense to me especially if we come if we bring Van Vliet and you know, I don't I don't see him wanting to do that necessarily because we'll we'll start looking at him as the guy again and I don't I don't know if he that's not his role anymore he's not the guy anymore he's a he's a third fourth option on a team now like look he was that with uh, who who's that with uh, Portland, right? So, why 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 even do that? Uh, that's my question for him, and really for the team too. It doesn't really make sense because he'll just come back, be the guy, and if, if Knicks fans will like, it's gonna be it's gonna be so torn between fans who are gonna try to be rationally like well, he should not be the guy to fans being like, no, he's the best option we got, and I I, I don't know, but. Stuff. I think so. I think that's the old that's the old narrative, and I think that's why it's trying to change. Honestly, in my opinion. So, but like, since you hit on it, what what do you think about his um, his quote from that same pod where he said, "It's us against New York media. It's us against our or, our own organization because we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on." 
And he said, imagine the mindset you have to have and the courage and integrity you have to have to stay in that, to deal with that. I'm talking about you scored 35 and you're getting booed. Like, I think that's the, that's the whole thing. You know what I mean? And, and that's why he's trying to save face and say, I, I did everything I could. You know what I mean? That's the narrative. Uh, not that he, like, was being Kobe Bryant when Smush Parker was around. Like, coming in there, not talking to anybody. You know what I mean? Shooting 45 times a game and then going home. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's not what was like, – that's what he wants to portray, in my opinion. That's what it seems like. But it's interesting that you said that. Like, I, I think the, the Cinderella year of Melo in the bubble and almost, like, everybody embracing him and, like, kind of – now Melo can do no wrong. You know what I mean? Because like D Wade is retired. You know what I mean? Bosch is gone for health reasons. LeBron is insane, right? 17 years and still killing it. He's like an anomaly. But everybody else is gone and Melo's still balling. You know what I mean? Darko's not, you know, of course, like not even, uh, he's an afterthought. And like that whole draft, Melo's really the only one standing besides LeBron. So I think he wants, I think he, he officially has become that guy where he's like, he's passed that we, we're not allowed to boo him anymore. Like Melo could do, Melo could be over 19 in the garden and we're not allowed to boo him because like, he's going to be our modern day superstar. Like he's all we got, man. And I know you want to go into it now. Do you think that Amari, even though he had that famous, you know, the Knicks are back quote and he got that, you know, huge hundred million dollar deal with us. Do you think, that Amari even compares to Melo when it comes to uh, the heart, I guess, of the New York Knicks or media. Because at the end of the day, they both had similar production, I would say, like on, on, on the floor, like when it comes to wins. Obviously, Melo put up better like numbers. But like when it comes to translated to wins, I think they were kind of the same. They relied on each other. They didn't really fit that great with each other. But Amari didn't cost us half our team. You know what I mean? He did cost us our salary, you know, the salary, but he didn't cost us half the squad. So I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you think the Amari and Melo um, dynamic is with the fans and the media, I guess? Because that kind of stuff matters in New York. I know it's silly, but that kind of stuff, like, actually does matter here. Yeah, I just, um, I guess, I just want to make sure I'm getting your question right. So you're asking, like, where does Amari stand amongst, like, the Knicks media and just, like, Knicks fans? Like compared to Melo, yeah. Like are are Melo and Amari like really on the same page? If we sit down and think about it, like did, did whether we like one or the other is one thing. But I guess when it translates to wins, like is that did they really provide the same amount of value to the New York Knicks? Hmm, it's an interesting question. I would probably, I would definitely say Melo outweighs Amari by like probably like a mile by like how much we got actually out of Carmelo. Melo was healthy most of the time. Uh, unlike Amari, um, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think I don't think compare them. Like I know, like Amari had like he was the big he was the like, the plan B the the second option that we signed when we lost out on the on the decision, right? And he said the Knicks are back, and he brought like a lot of excitement that year. But Amari was mostly injured for the part and for his time here in New York. Like it was always his back or his knees or one. It was like one thing or another. And whenever he was on the court, like he would have those productive nights, and then he would just be like a complete clunker. Like at least with Melo, Melo was like consistently a bucket. I we knew Melo like defensively was like. It, it was it was his uh, not necessarily Achilles heel, but he, that's that's not his that's not his forte. 
uh, Amare, it's tough, man, because we paid him a lot and he didn't even give us that much. Honestly, I don't think he, he's probably worth close to, somewhere between a quarter and half the contract that we gave him for how much time he actually played here. And I, I don't even think it's fair to even put Melo and Amari in the same regards of like production wise, because at least with Melo, he took us to the second round of the, of the playoffs, right? And he was healthy for the most part. And he was like third in MVP voting. He was the scoring champ that year. Amari, like he came back, like we know that whole punching of the fire extinguisher the year before. Like I can't get over that. Like when you say playoffs, that's like that's the only thing that like comes to my mind. Him punching that damn fire extinguisher. Yeah, and I think that's the that's when I think about like that's what I think about Amare is that he he was he was even there for most of it, man. Like he was there, but he wasn't like really there producing for most of it. So I don't think they're actually on the same level at all as like uh, as production wise and even expectation too, right? When we got Melo, we made that trade. Like signing a free agent and giving him a lot of money, there's a there's a ex, there's a expectation. When you trade for somebody, a lot of, when you trade a lot of assets and you pay somebody, there's a higher expectation. So they both didn't meet the expectations when we got them. But if we're gonna talk about who came to deliver more, it's definitely Carmelo Anthony came and gave the Knicks more than Amari. Like I like Amari. I wish he was healthy for most of it. And honestly, him and Mel didn't really fit that well together. I think you just pointed that out, right? We wanted Mel at the four. Mel, that was where Mel was even more productive playing the four. And that's where Amari really was. But Amari, when he even came back, we brought him off the bench more so than putting him in a starting lineup. And he was supposed to be part of that big three in New York, you know, Mello, Chandler, uh, and uh, Stoudemire. Like those were supposed to be our guys. And we really had more so Chandler. And uh, Mello producing more than those guys. Even J.R. Smith was doing more with that one season than what Amari we than what we got out of Amari. Well, to be honest, man, I think you're you just completely forgot about Amari Stoudemire. Like you are completely underestimating what we were in 2010. Like coming out with no LeBron. Like we had we 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 were, we were going for all these max players. We got nothing. We got Amari. He started setting franchise records. He had like nine straight 30-point games, you know, in that year with nobody on the squad. Uh, he made he was a starter in the Eastern Conference. It was LeBron, D-Wade, D-Rose, Dwight Howard, and Amari Stoudemire. You know what I mean? And I think he was the first uh, Nick since Ewing, which we'll get into, to start, you know, to start in the All-Star game. I don't know. I, think, I also think he killed it in that All-Star game. He had 29 points. Um, and then... Melo probably came here, I think, because of uh, because of Amari, and that's why he rushed it. To be honest with you, I think that if Amari wasn't killing like he was, then Melo would have been like, "All right, I'll just wait. It's not a big deal. I don't need to come right now. In the middle of the season, I could wait it out." But because Amari was killing, is in the playoffs. Like we got this. Like you know, like, me and him, we'll take it to the you know, we'll take it to the chip. And it didn't work out. I. I don't know. We, then they got swept by Boston, um, but you're totally right. He got injured, and it was you know it wasn't the best. And then we had the lockout, and then after that, he just fell off completely with uh, with the injuries starting the 2012 season. So, you know, I'm with you. I just I, for for me, the the injuries of Amari Stoudemire, of course, were tough. 
But what was worse, the injuries or like the decimated team? That like I don't know, the chicken or the egg for me. You know what I mean? Was it Amari Stoudemire? It was his fault that the team, the whole team, got traded. <laughs> you know what I mean? And left, and he, you know, it was just him and Mello, and it didn't work out. You know, was it Mello's fault? Should we have wait? I don't know. It's just I, I, I just I. I think he falls. I think Amari and 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 Mello are waste are way more similar than we than we give it credit for. You know what I mean? We we have Mello on this huge pedestal because he embraced us, and Amari was way better on the Suns. You know, in all of our eyes. But I don't know. And that stupid Fires thing with Cheryl, I'll never forget it. <laughs> you know, like I, I can't get over it. Yeah, I I th- here's the thing with Amari, and I just want to clear up something. I know I put uh. Afuawo and uh, Robin is talking about teams. I know they're two different years. One, Robin and Afuawo before D Rose and Joakim Noah. I just want to clarify that for our listeners. Um, but here's the thing: my feelings with Amari. I remember that year. Like I said, that's when I like it was because of you. You got me like really back into the Knicks. Like watching when we got Amari and all that stuff. I remember just like hanging out in your dorm and, and doing that and just like watching uh, the Knicks play the Celtics that night. And like we thought Amari hit that game-winning three, and it was just barely on his, the tip of his fingers, man. I remember that. Oh, pain. Pa- pain, man. I really just wanted to beat the Celtics because, like, he had that shot. Wasn't KG guarding him, too? Was KG on him? I forget. I- yeah, and they had – in game two, there was, like, that weird stack play, right, where it was, like, running to the basket and, like, something happened, and we also lost that game, and then after that, it was all over. Yep, 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 Exactly. But my thing with Amari is that I know he's talented. I know he did a lot the first year with us. It's what did we get afterwards? That's uh, it's you know it's not just that one year that I got to take into consideration. It's that his entire time here and after the 2013 season, I was like, we need to get him. We need to get. Him. We need to move him. Like he, this contract needs to end because we're just we can't even get anybody. Like we were unable to do anything. It was just it was just sucking the Knicks dry. And even when we had Mel, like I wanted Mel off the team, not because I hated Mel, but because like we weren't going anywhere with him. And it's just like, it's that, that Knicks, it's the Knicksiest thing possible where we pay a guy a lot of money and then he's just like sucking up our, like our contract, right? Like our salary cap and we can't get anybody and we can't do anything. And I would just rather, you know, be able to move a guy. And the, the for- unfortunate thing is that Mel had a no trade call. So we needed his permission to trade him, right? And that was the other thing is that we should have just been able to move him and move on from him, have him go be successful, successful, successful somewhere else because another team would have used him. Another team like OKC used him, but they didn't use him right. Rockets just did him dirty. I think that was just like the most dirtiest thing. Dean Tony can get revenge back on Mello personally. But the reason I want to talk about the topic that you brought up, like why Mello came over here. And let's remember that was the last year of his contract. And so he needed to be traded if he wanted to get the five-year guarantee, right? Because if he was a free agent, he came over, he would only get four. So he also wanted to push it. Remember that summer, he was also talking about how there was like competition between him and potentially him going to the Nets, which was, I I can't see. He would have never done that, first of all. He would have never gone to that. I can't see that. But you're telling me that the Nets were going to trade to go get Melo and then have to go up the same hall. I don't, that wasn't going to happen. And at least with the Knicks, right? I think when he did see Amari and like he thought he like they, we were already on like the road for playoff contention that season. We made the playoffs. And then 
with him too, he also wanted to get paid and he really wanted to be in New York. So he had to get traded in order for that, in order for his contract to be like, to be eligible for five years. And I don't, I like, that's probably the one thing I will blame Melo for and still hold to this day because he should have just came in free agency. So that way the Knicks still had assets. The team still could have built around him. The team could have been successful with him, right? And instead of just having that one, one like glimmer of a season in the 2012, 2013, we could have, we could have had longer success. We could have rolled out the red carpet for Mello. You know, we could have been, as long as we were contending, right? It's all even Knicks fans really want, like championship. Like most fans just want your team to be contending. Like we, like depending like how good it is, right? We didn't even get like, we only got one year that we went to the second round since, and that's the furthest we went since 99. And, it's just, I don't know. There, there's, there's blame to be shared all around for that mellow trade between mellow, between, uh, Dolan getting involved and just throwing in more assets to get the deal done. Um, blame could have gone, could go all around for that. But overall, I think to, to end that, to end the conversation, they're asking Mari and Mello are on two different levels. And I think we got to give mellow because he is, you know, part of that draft class right he's part of that 2003 draft class he's one of the he's one of the he's one of the greats clear clear track to the hall of fame and honestly like he was one of the top guys that wanted to play in new york so and he you know do i say he lived up to the expectations no but he at least took us somewhere and i think a little further and did a little bit more because of his health and scoring wise than amari couldn't that's fair. But I guess sticking on the same topic, though, of, of, of the Knicks' failures and, and organizations, we're, we're kind of in a heated debate, you and I, uh, after, after some people started comparing the Yankees' failed Don Mattingly. I don't even want to get into that. And then they said the Knicks have failed Patrick Ewing, which I vehemently disagree with. And then they said that the Jets failed Sam Darnold. We won't get into da- Darnold and the Jets because that hurts our soul. And his, and his ACC joint is, bro- is sprained. And let's just leave that guy alone for now. We won't talk about the Don and the Yankees. But we are going to stick to Patrick Ewing and the Knicks because we have differing opinions. I'm, I'm baffled. I, I kind of want you to open the floor. So, Alex, you think that the Knicks failed Patrick Ewing as an organization. Yeah, I think they did to an extent. When I look at the teams that he had to compete against in the 90s, who else did they bring around to support him to help him get over that hump? Yeah, he made the champ he made the finals twice, right? He made it in 94, he made it in 99. Uh 99 was in my opinion a miracle because Knicks are one of the only two teams in history to enter the NBA playoffs as an A seed and make it all the way to the NBA finals. Brilliant. Yeah, in that year, he failed the Knicks, right? Because he had the partially torn Achilles and he didn't make it to the finals. Sure. But I mean, he's also been in the league for like, what, 86 years? I mean, I'm I, like, like, I get it. Like he got injured, but guess what? Players, players get injured, right? We, what do you want me to, like, are we going to blame? Should we just like, to use that conversation, are we going to blame Chad Pennington for the Jets for always having a torn rotator cuff that he can't compete? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. What are you talking about? Oh my god. This is this is 
I love Chad, but yeah, this is, if if his shoulder was good, he'd be fantastic. Honestly, if he, if he played nowadays, I think he would have been better. And same with Ewing. But but go on, go on. Tell me why the Knicks have failed Patrick Ewing. All right. So looking at those years, right? At the years that he was competing. Beside Hakeem Olajuwon, who was like the, the top guy in Houston when Jordan was out for that year, who the Rockets were a good team. Who's, who's the supporting cast that clunked that one? Starks. Starks just going, I don't, I don't want to talk about his poor shooting that night because it's, it's just sad that we were so close, but yet so far, uh, uh, what it seemed to be, to be at the end. But who else did he really have? Oakley? Oakley wasn't like a scoring guy. He was a good, like, enforcer guy that you'd bring off the bench or even had in a starting lineup to make sure that you put guys in their place. You know, I love Starks, has, has a lot of heart, but his shooting wasn't the most consistent, uh, on the team. And it showed when it came to the finals against the rock, against the Rockets. And then who was the next guy? Um, Mace. I love Mace. And I don't think, and they let him go. They didn't even keep him, right? They didn't bring in anyone and they didn't draft anyone to be, uh, the Robin to Ewing's Batman, which is, Kind of my gripe as an, as the Knicks organization and not, and drafting is difficult, but you can go out and get guys. And look, when we look at the Bulls, they got Jordan Pippen, right? And they also added, uh, they also added Dennis Rodman later on, as we saw. And prior to that, you had, um, oh my God. Well, you had, you had Hori. Yeah. Before, prior to that to, to help him out. So you had three guys that were constantly reliable. When you look at the, the, the Sonics, you had, Peyton and you had Kemp, right? They both worked in tandem. Not saying they won anything because Jordan was still dominating those years, but there was at least a duo. Then you look at the Utah Jazz, right? They had Carl Malone, John Stockton. These teams who succeeded and went far at least had someone else to go run with them. And someone like at the position that we needed, which is the guard, to go help. We got rid of Doc. We got rid of Jackson. We got rid of all these guys who helped in other places instead of keeping him around to actually help make a difference. And that's where I think the Knicks failed Ewing was actually keeping people around and making that type of adjustment. What do you, what do you, what do you feel about? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you to a certain point, right? Like I'm with you in, in the fact that, yeah, the, the Knicks never had. Uh, Stockton to his Malone or Pippen to his Jordan or, but he didn't have a Kenny Smith to his Olajuwon. Like he had Kenny Smith. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the Knicks had Kenny Smith. So, uh, it, it's sometimes hard to look at it from such a broad perspective. So like, let's just run through it a little bit. So when Ewing was first drafted in 84, uh, King, you know, uh, 84. Yeah, I mean, like the 84, 85 season, right? The, the, um, Willis Reed, he won the first rookie, rookie award since Willis Reed, dude. So he was up there, right? So you're, you're, no, there's no question as to Ewing was the savior of the Knicks. He came in, Bernard King was like on his, you know, on his NBA deathbed, you know, by that time. So he wasn't really a factor. There was Cartwright was there. And so Ewing was just like rocking it, right? He was making the all-star game, the, the defensive second team with his power forwards, and they're running the show. 
they're not that bad, right? And then they, they, they took Cartwright and they they got the right hand man, which was Charles Oakley. And they rocked it. I know that, like, you know, Charles Oakley right now, we have a sour, like, you know, taste in our mouth, but Ewing and Oakley were dominating in the late in the late eighties and like early nineties. They gave him Rick Pitino. Okay, and then they won the Atlantic Division. So, like right there, like it's already starting, right? So he 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 was a rookie. He's becoming developed. He's getting some guys. They're they're starting to roll. You know what I mean? He's making the All Star game. They're winning the division. I think like the the early nineties, he he made his fourth. I think like 80, 89, 90, he made his fourth appearance. Um, in the All Star game, and that was the first year he got his uh, All NBA first team. So that was like the big year. Like once the 90s hit, like Ewing was Patrick Ewing. You know what I mean? All NBA first team. He's the man. He was dominating in the playoffs, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like down 0-2 to the Celtics. They were doing stuff. They got they lost to the Detroit Pistons in the semifinals, no problem. Then they brought Riley in. You know what I mean? Then you know, like I I, I can't say that the Knicks are failing Patrick Ewing if Rick Pitino's there, and then Pat, and then Pat Riley, you know what I mean, is their head coach. They won the division a couple times, right? They, then they they were losing to like big boys, you know, Boston, and then even his MVP year, they would lose to the Bulls. The one year they got to the finals was the year that the Bulls went down, like as we saw in the documentary, uh, as it's been well documented that he missed that layup, you know what I mean, versus the Pacers. It was well documented that Reggie Miller killed us. I agree. Like, I don't know. If you say that the Knicks failed Patrick Ewing, did the Pacers fail Reggie Miller? Like, no. Like, I, I, I don't know. It, it's that that that's kind of harsh for me to say that they really like like the Jets ruined Mark Sanchez. You know what I mean? Like the Jets failed Mark Sanchez. You know what I mean on the offense? Like that's that's a real. That's a, that's a, that's what really happened there. I don't really think the Knicks failed Patrick Ewing. Actually, I think that the Knicks and Patrick Ewing were the perfect tandem. They they were both deodorant for each other because when the Knicks were bad, Patrick Ewing came in and like held it down for them for a while. In '94, they kind of kind of all came together. But by the end, like the, by the not, like the late '90s, Ewing was like was bad, dude. Like he had knee problems. Like starting from his first year, he missed a bunch of games. You know, you know. And by the end, he was getting hurt, and we were kind of carrying him. You know, the Knicks. And so, if Patrick Ewing was just a little bit better at the end, I think we could have like got over the hump. But if the Knicks were just a little bit better in the beginning, like when he was in his prime in '94, we would have got over the hump and won a chip. It's just hard for me to use the F word, bro. Failure. That's kind of tough for me. Look, yeah, I think it's look when I look at a player, and I can't necessarily say, you know, it's his. It's not an athlete's fault when they get injured. They're, that's they can't control that, right? So even when I brought up Chad Pennington, I can't blame Chad Pennington. His body's giving out on him. He has no control on that. When I talk about the organization actually failing, right? The Knicks did a good job in building a team to be competitive. They got a good coach in Pat Riley, and even afterwards, they got in Jeff, they got Jeff Van Gundy who was an assistant to Pat Riley, to help take them along the way, right? And continuously make them competitive and at least like constantly making the playoffs throughout the entire 90s. My thing, though, is, is that you see that there's a demon in your division, in your conference, 
with Michael Jordan and you see the three guys that they're using with like whoever, right? And it just it irritates me that you know they couldn't stick with somebody and they kept giving up players. Like where's the talent evaluation then to say, you know what? Let's keep Doc. Let's keep Mark Jackson. Because we gave up Mark Jackson to the Pacers. And you know what? I could say that the Pacers failed Reggie Miller not getting enough guys for him and helping them com- compete. But I don't really care about the Pacers, right? I hate the Pacers. I don't really like Reggie Miller. I don't like that entire franchise in general. But I would say that they did fail him because during his prime, they did not support him in giving him enough talent because they should recognize that, hey, this is not like this guy is great. This guy is talented. He can help us get to the playoffs, but we need to add someone else to help us take us over, right? And like that's where I just stand with the Knicks. And when it even came down to like the the latter half of the nineties, right? When we got LJ, when we got Houston, when we got Spree, like we were still we were still competitive, but the issue then is that, you know, when we made ninety nine, like Ewan went out with a partially torn Achilles, as you noted, and I think after that point, you could potentially said, Hey, maybe we could have just ran it back one more time instead of just, and this is where I think like really the failing Ewing comes in is because he was the guy and he was the golden dude for New York. We drafted him for the 85, 86 season. We had him here. He was, he was the king of New York. He was the captain of the team. And then we just let him also go. We don't, we not only didn't give him the roster to help make it past Jordan, right? We also just let him go and trade him to Seattle for a bunch of no names that didn't do anything for the team. And that's where I really think, like, if we look at the entirety of it, right, the Knicks did a competent job of making a playoff contention team, but they failed in one re-upping, adding valuable players to help him get over that hump. And two, then they just let the guy go. They don't even roll out the red carpet for him. And even what we do now for Ewing, like even last year when he got to call the number for RJ Barrett, it's like, Harry, how can you even like look at yourself in the face and just trade like your best player away? Like even the, even the heat brought back D Wade and it's like rolling out the red carpet. You know, I've not, and it's like not even like today, today's NBA is like not even the same, but if we're talking about loyalty, which everyone talks about during the nineties, that was the most disloyal thing you could possibly do to like your, your, the face of the franchise, but more so the fact that they didn't add the roster, like they didn't add to the roster, I think in a well-suited way to keep them competitive. They added guys who were just like, who were filled with a lot of heart, who were competitive, who are hustlers um, and that seems what Pat Riley is able to do is just find those type of guys because we see what he's doing down Miami today. But that's really where I, like as a fan, just think that he did. They they failed, and I would say that it's not necessarily like the ultimate fail, but like it did. Uh, there is some sort of like mishandling or failure. Maybe failure, maybe uh, too much for you. But how about mishandling? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but how about? I mean, there's so much to get to. First of all, Patrick Ewing is the one that requested the trade from the Knicks. Like, it wasn't like the Knicks, like, let this guy out to pasture and just like, yo, get out of here. He, he requested a trade, and actually the Knicks got shafted on that trade. And it was just like they had to do it because he, the, he requested it. And he was – they kind of, like, helped him out. He's, like, their guy. He's 38. They are just like, okay, we'll let you go. We'll get a bad deal. Like, we'll kind of take care of you. But you're – I mean, talk about – Talk about Patrick Ewing and 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 failing the Knicks, dude. How about game? How about games? 
six when they all got suspended for coming off the bench. Like, Patrick Ewing was one of those guys. You know what I mean? He could have had that. He got off the bench. He got suspended. He also missed the, the you know, the finger roll uh, in that same series. But no one ever talks about game five when the Knicks were down 3-1 and he scored with less than two seconds left to save them from elimination to even get them there. No one ever talks about that because it wasn't like the big shot. But like, you know, those two things are on him. Like he, we could have got over the hump and that was like literally him. And we wouldn't even mention Charles Smith because like Charles Smith failed Patrick Ewing more than the New York Knicks could have ever failed Patrick Ewing. You know what I'm trying to say? I will agree with that 100%. And for fans who uh, I know I said uh, uh, Horowitz or something like that, it's uh, Horace Grant that I was talking about for the Bulls. Uh, sorry, but it's hard to remember everyone's freaking name, man. A lot of stuff going around in my head. But no, I, I, I get I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, and I could see like I could see that whole like. Patrick Ewing made mistakes and like had big moments where he just like didn't come through too. And sure, the layup is like the most iconic one for him because it's like, dude, just dunk it. Like, why'd you even go? Why'd you even go for the finger roll? Just dunk it. You're like a seven footer monster who could have gone in and just like slammed the living daylights out of it. And yeah, sure, like I I can get that. At the same time, like this man put up every like he we asked fans. The team, the organization asked a lot from him. He and he del- and he gave out a lot every single night, right? Um, but like, I don't know, man. There's just some aspect that has to be like there has to be some aspect that needs to be added to. There, there has to be some addition to the team. There has to be some looking at the team saying, "This is what we need. This is what we got to do," and like add more players. I agree with you. We got lo- we we tried to do that with the coaching. We definitely got him the right coaching. And we never got the right point guard, right? We got a Heisman winner. <laughs> you know what I mean? We got we got some scrappy guys here and there. Mark Jackson was good that we let him go in typical Knicks fashion. And then he murdered us for years and years to come. We had to face guys like Tim Hardaway who killed us. Like, yes, our point guard situation was always terrible. And if he had Chris Paul, <laughs> right? Like, like Patrick Ewing would be would have multiple rings. So I'm with you. They were imperfect, but if you put the right coaching staff in, you know what I mean? I feel like, boom, like ready, like you pass the F word and you, you at least you, you, you start with the C. You know what I mean? Like we can't even do that for, for our, for our teams right now. Like I would be dying for a, for a great coach and no point guard, you know, cause we, we never had a good coach and we will never have a good point guard. You know what I mean? That's just how it feels. Well, hopefully that all changes. Um, you know, we, we won't get into the Chris Paul Van Vliet debate, but, uh, I, I hear where you're coming from with the Knicks and for like the, the, the whether we could use the F word for Ewing or not, but we could leave that for, we could leave off right now for a later debate and move on to, uh, we'll agree to disagree. How about that? That's, that's what I think we're kind of on the same, I think we're kind of on the same page at the end because like we just, we just, we just haven't had the two superstars, man. We're just jealous. We're jealous of all the other squads that you mentioned. Seattle, you know, Utah, the Bulls, all these, all these squads. We're just jealous of them. Honestly, we're envious. Uh, that's a, that's a fact. That's a, f- can't agree more than that. But you know what? That's where we hope, that's where we're hopeful and that's where we're eternal for moving on to this year's draft, right? Hopefully we could, hopefully RJ's that guy. Hopefully Mitch is part of that foundation. Um, 
you know, hopefully Frank and Knox can turn into good, uh, you know, rotational pieces. But this draft, it's not, it's very like, uh, it's a little lackluster as everyone's been saying, but you know, this is the, this is the turning point, hopefully for the franchise where we add another good player. And there's a lot of names swirling, swirling around there. We had two great guests and Chris Persiana and Jeffrey Campbell on the show talking about draft with us. And like I said at the beginning, hopefully we get some more on the show, but John, let's talk you and me based on the knowledge that we got right now, based on stuff that we've been reading. We're not, let's stick Let's not make any – no caveats to this. There's no trading up, no trading down. We're sticking at the spots 8 and 27. Who do you want at 8? We'll go you and me and then back to you and me for 8 and 27. So, John, who do you want at the 8th pick? Uh, if, if the caveat is the roster is exactly the same right now and nobody else is coming, right? That's just where we're at. I'm taking Halliburton at number 8. I'm just going to take the point guard. I'm going to take the lefty. I know he shoots weird, but we can fix the hitch. It'll be fine. He's a playmaker. He's a baller. He's got the wingspan. He, he, he's got the pace. Just give me Halburn and, and, and call it a day. I don't think that will happen, but if it was me sitting there and you're going to guarantee me no point guard, no other point guards coming, just give me Halburn. Okay. And uh, I guess, well, we know the roster is going to change. Free agency is going to change. We just don't know who's going to be on the team and what's going to be added. So I guess, you know, the only thing I can look at is like our the, the young core that we have right now that's not free agents. So I'm looking at DSJ, Frank, Knox, Barrett, Iggy. We, we You know we got Wooten and Harper who are our two-way. Uh, we also got Theo Pinson, who I don't know what we're going to do with at the beginning of next year. Um, but I guess we don't really have to consider him. And... Uh, yeah, Mitchell Robinson. You know, I think I think I got everybody. And uh, if I don't, please, someone just depends on if we if Portis if we pick up Portis because at this point, honestly, if we don't have any other guys to get for free agent, I, I, I can see us picking up uh, Portis's contract. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked either, especially if we let everyone else go and keep Portis. And honestly, like I would, I don't, I don't hate Bobby. Like I get tired of like some of the boneheaded plays, but it's hard to not hate boneheaded plays when you have a lot of people doing boneheaded plays and they're all on the same like position like we got the joke of too many power forwards and yeah like fans like even myself were thought like the media was just like going way overboard but nope they either they saw something or we just played right into their hand um but alex you did forget your boy oh he is yeah he is staying uh yeah i have nothing against julius randall like i just dislike I just dislike him doing the same play all the single time. Like, I think he's a good player. I think he could be a good rotational player. But we put him into a position, and I keep, like, we just put him into a position that he couldn't handle, all right? He's not a number one option. He's not a number two option. Like, put him to the three, four, have him come off the bench as, like, your small ball five, and, like, what, let's see, let's see him do something else. Like, I, like, I know he's blocked me on Twitter. Hopefully everything changes, Julius. Hopefully everything changes. Please know that I'm a nice guy. I just like to call it as I see it. Um, Let's say you might not have a problem with Julius, but he definitely has a problem with you. He really has a problem with me, and that's fine. Look, we everyone can't like everybody, right? You're gonna have some, uh, <laughs> you're gonna have some conflict somewhere. But I could see. Let's talk about Halliburton for a second, because I do like Hallie, and I think he is going to be a good player. I think he is going to be successful in this league. I don't know if he necessarily fits on the Knicks right now. Because he, like everyone uh, who's written and spoken about him, he's a connector, right? So 
he get exactly that's the question who who is he connecting it to so uh you know like who are our top scores that we have out of the guys that we just listed right julius is probably like the number one option at that point of like being our most prolific score that we have and just because he did average close, close to a double double and i don't know what came first the chicken or the egg you know what i mean like does does the does the point guard come like I'm going to keep saying CP3, and the reason I keep bringing up CP3 is because I can't believe how he just goes from team to team to team, like whether it's the New Orleans with David West and Tyson Chandler or like, you know, even back in the day Hornets, you know what I mean? Just any squad he goes on, like the Lob City Clippers who clearly stink without him, you know what I mean? Like he, he anywhere he goes, all of a sudden everyone gets in the right spot, you know, it has an open layup. Gets it gets you know to whatever spot they need to get to, and so which you know I'm not expecting you know Chris Paul the veteran to come out, but he's just some guy at a Wake Forest you know punching people in the balls trying to get trying to get rebounds. You know what I mean? He was just that, that was all he was. You know what I mean? He's not he wasn't like some phenomena coming out of college. So like that you know I don't know what came first. Like maybe Halliburton just you know comes in and is able to fit in a Tibbs type system. You know what I mean? Where he's not asked to do too much. Where Bobby Portis could actually get to his spot. Where Randall can get to his spot. He doesn't have to bring up the ball. You know what I mean? Where DSJ is not asked to like be Allen Houston. You know what I mean? Where he could just be like Stevie Franchise. You know what I mean? Just like grab the ball, you know, hit the shooting guard, guard the shooting guard. Not necessarily guard like the best, you know, playmaker coming down the court at half. Nah, totally. Like I totally, I, I, I get that with like Hal Burton. I just think like, because I see more of like a SGA type of role in him right now where he can't be the primary ball handler. You know what I mean? Just, I see, like, that's what I, that's how I feel. Like, CP3 helped SGA be, uh, help him with like the backcourt duties. Even when CP3 was off and it was either Schroeder, SGA, whoever was in that backcourt, it was not as anywhere close as successful as when CP3 was on that court. And even with, even when SGA was out in, um, in LA, right? Like, it wasn't necessarily him doing all the duty. Pat Bev was also helping, too. Like, they both worked off each other. So, I guess, who would be helping, uh, who would be helping Halliburton in our backcourt working together? You know what I mean? I think he works best as of right now with like a two guard system, like how we had Jay Kidd and Raymond Felton work in the backcourt. If you're telling me we're going to have something like that, then I, I see like Halliburton being, uh, very, huh? Yeah, I'd rather see RJ at the three personally. I don't think RJ is quick enough to be playing like at the two. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I, I, I can, I'm wrong. Like we're like, like anyone else, right? But I don't see RJ right now being like a two. I'd rather have RJ at the three because I think he can use that frame of his to really attack on the wing and he likes to cut more than shoot. And I really want that two, like a Bradley Beal, like a player that can actually just hit it down. Like we look at twos like Brad, like Bradley Beal, Clay Thompson, guys who are in that role and they should have like, they need to have a good shot, and unless RJ is coming out next season hitting like a, a fifty-five effective field goal percentage, or no true uh, true shooting percentage, I mean fifty-five true shooting percentage, then I, I'm like you can you can sell me on it. But other than that, he's not even close to that. So uh, I'd rather see RJ at the three. All right, cool. So what about what about you? Who do you as things stand right now? Who do you want uh, at eight for the Knicks? At eight, I would right now. It's between Vassell and Okoro. I really like what I've been hearing 
about Vassell recently. Yeah, me too. I'm on that. I'm on that boat too. It's really Halburn or Vassell. I just went with Halburn one, but so we can get on board there. That's kind of our uh, common denominator. Yeah, just from what I heard, just like recent pods, uh, I, I just, it's just he sounds like a grinder, a, a kid who can play defense. He was a good shot blocker for being a a, a wing defender um, in college. Just gritty. He fits that Tibbs mindset of just being gritty and ready to grind things out. He can shoot. He's not a high volume shooter like Naismith is, but a consistent shooter is better, at, uh, you know, than someone who's just not right. Uh, it's so I could take Vassell, and I think he'll work on those things. He seems like a, a kid from uh, who will just do whatever it takes to be good, and maybe, and just maybe, and I don't know, but just like the way he's being talked about right now, I'm getting these kind of like Chris Middleton vibes, like. Okay. I like- and if we can get like a Chris Middleton out of him, like that's like a hot, that's a, I feel like that's a good, that's a really good uh, ceiling, right? Um, yeah, that'd be great. I'm, I'm getting like Jonathan Isaac vibes at, and I don't know if it's because the Florida State uniform, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't, I got, it could be, but that's a kind of, and I, I've been told to like take down, take that down a notch. So oh, I could kind of see that Middleton comparison. Uh, yeah, just long guys who can like shoot who weren't necessarily like high volume shooters, but, are able to, you know, get a good stroke and then perform just because of their constant grind. I, that's what, that's what I'm envisioning from him. And that's like, I feel like his ceiling, but that's a ceiling, right? Like Middleton's an all star. So if he can even be that, that's just, we, we knocked it out of the park. But yeah, I like, I like Vassell. I'm actually starting to rise on him more than, uh, Okoro. Just because Okoro doesn't have the shot, you'd have you'd have to ask him to develop a shot, and I don't necessarily think that's a difficult thing. The sh- a shot can always come around, but it's how consistent. If you already have a good shot, and now it's just perfecting a shot to be even just like just money, right? Like a Middleton, uh, it makes your it makes the game a hell of a lot easier. But yeah, man, let's move on to twenty seven. So who are you looking at for uh, twenty seven then? I mean, I just don't know how the draft is going to play out, to be honest. But if Maxie's there, give me Maxie. You know, I, I don't know if he's going to be there, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to die on this hill that the Kentucky CAA Knicks are, are really going to like change shape. And you could just tell with Kenny Payne, like you could just tell that the, the Kentucky guys have a certain, I don't know, influence by Kenny Payne and, for whatever reason, they love this guy. So I just think that he, he uh, they're going to come to him as opposed to like uh, people trying to force their hand. So if Maxie's there, I really uh, – there's no way he's not going to be on the Knicks if he's there sitting there. I 100% agree. If Maxie – I don't even think he's going to drop to 27. That would be – I actually – I honestly like I don't even know because like no one knows how this draft is going out. So. Exactly. Because everything's so weird with the interviews and the combine, like of, like everything is just so crazy right now. So I really don't know how the draft is going to play out. I don't want to like predict, just like, you know, get, I wouldn't be predicting, I'd be guessing. So I would just say, uh, you know, sitting, you know, October, you know, October 4th, if Maxie's there, uh, I think there's no chance he's, he's flying under the radar. I think you mean November uh, 16th. I'm just saying, like right now, it's October fourth. Like as it stands, uh, like we don't, we just don't know, like how, um, 
the teams are going to operate, you know, a month from now or like what's going to happen, what's going to change. So just like as it is stands right now, I think if Maxi's there, which could potentially happen, he, he'll be ours. Okay. I see. I, I get, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying based on rumors, reports and all that stuff. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I would love Maxi. He is I, I, at that spot. I feel like that's a great value for him. And he's a gamer. Like I like guys who are gamers. It honestly, obviously we need consistency and stuff like that. Uh, from any player but there's just an intangible when someone's just a gamer right just stepping up in clutch moments and you know i was actually having a heated debate in my fantasy chat about this and we could save this for the our 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 jets pod where we're hopefully still alive at that point thank god we didn't have to watch them today but sunday man what a beautiful sunday beautiful day man it's just nice to roll out of bed knowing that you can be happy for once um so Shout out to my boy Ian Jackson. He said, he said this, and we're not going to talk about this, but he said that if Philip, if the trade between, uh, the Chargers and Giants didn't happen and Philip Rivers ended up on the Giants, that Philip Rivers would have had the same amount or more amount of Super Bowls than Eli Manning. I think that's an interesting conversation for us to have in the et cetera for next NFL, but, the, but I disagree with that statement completely just because for many reasons, I'm not going to get into that right now. But the okay. thing I did, the one thing I did mention though about Eli is that he is a gamer. He gets he's clutch, and that's just something you cannot, you know, clutch. It's just like Derek Jeter, right? It's just something that you can't measure. There's no there's no tangible that you can find. And so with Maxi, a guy who could be clutch, who's a gamer like that, if you can get some good consistency out of him, and then a guy who could just elevate that level of play when it comes to the when the spotlight is on him. You know, I'm all for it all day, every day. And I will, if he's here on the Knicks, I will gladly buy that jersey. Gladly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'd be great. Like, that, that would be fantastic. Uh, the whole thing is, man, I'm, I, I would just like to point out that the all time great Jerry West, the logo, who has been a great GM, got fleeced by the Knicks. And we gave him Morris and we like stole the 27th pick of the first round this year. And and that's why we're able to have this conversation. So as much as we give the Knicks slack all the time and as much as everybody loves Jerry West, nobody's talking about it, but Hey man, Morris and like the the Clippers didn't work out. It's not like uh, Chapman where the Yankees gave Chapman to the Cubs and we took Glaber Torres. They won the chip. So it's worth it. They don't care that they lost it. You know, an all-time great infielder. They won the chip. The closer's gone. That's fine with them. Clippers didn't win. They even make it to the conference finals. So, yeah. I, I just, props to the Knicks and you know Steve Mills, whoever, whoever, whoever pulled the trigger. You know what I mean? We we're, we're always so fast to just throw them under the bus. You know, Dolan stinks. The front office stinks. But hey. Well, that was Scott Perry who made that move because Mills got fired before that deal even happened. So. Okay. All right, shout out to Perry, my boy. Alfred Payton, I love you, bro. <laughs> oh my god. Um I don't you know, I that's a that's a good topic to put up on Twitter. I want to pull on how people feel about Alfred Payton because I know there's a lot of like interesting conversations we could have about him, but I we're, we're if. Huh? Uh yeah, I agree. I agree, especially after this season seeing how I looked up RJ, like it's definitely going to be negative, but I want to know, like, in a vacuum, if we just started at the beginning of the season, what would 
views be. But that's that's another conversation for another day. So for me, the 27th, I would take is there's two guys. It's Desmond Bain, one. Yes, I, I was hoping I was hoping we can sneak him at the top of the second round. Uh, I don't know. If I, I like. I don't. Once again, I don't know. I think he's going to be gone before the second round, personally. Um, but the other guy, Desmond Bain, dude, that'd be great. I, I would love Desmond Bain, another wing. Like I would, I would. I, I don't know if we would go another wing just because if we get Vassell. But you could actually. I would. I, I take that back. You always need wing play from what we're seeing in the NBA, right? Like we see, like the Celtics, we see the we're seeing what they're doing in Toronto, adding wings with like. OG and just like Pascal Siakam, you see Celtics have Tatum and Brown and uh, Hayward. You'll get LA who's got Paul George and Kawhi, right? You see all like wings are always in need. And actually that's like the Portland Trailblazers, like why they couldn't make it past LA or anyone really. It was very difficult is because they didn't have good wing play. So you can never have too many wings, but Desmond Bain is one. Uh, the other guy I actually like is Jalen Smith. I'm really on the Jalen Smith train. He's, I like him out of Maryland. That kid's a gamer. He could shoot. He brings a lot of energy. I, I, I really would be happy if we get him. I think he might be gone just because he's a big who could shoot. And we, we see bigs who can shoot are also being coveted in this league. But that's the other guy I would like as well. Um, either one of those will make me, you'll, I'll be a happy camper. Jalen Smith is Jalen Smith is really interesting hanging out with uh, Wooten or Mitch down. It would really like uh, change the dynamic for them. That'd be that's a, that's pretty interesting. I kind of like that. Uh, in the recent NBA mock drafts, he's going late first round, so that twenty seven would be a nice spot with him. And then if we could pick up Desmond Bain in the top of the second, uh, as just like you know, uh, corner wing, you know, honestly on fire lights out shooter uh he really is a microwave i think that'd be that'd be great i'm curious as to how it's all gonna play out man i uh my brother huge knicks fan uh staying at his house he he's adamant that we're gonna move around we're not gonna have the 8 and 27 uh by the time it all shakes out and i don't know if i agree with it but i could see a i i, I just don't I know the Knicks know about pressure. Like, I think they got it. And I think that Tibbs understands. And I, I don't think that they're going to trade up for a player because they understand what that brings. Uh, so I, I really, I really don't see that happening, to be honest with you. I could see them trading away the, like the Dallas, like one of the Dallas picks packaging that with a couple players eventually for something. Uh, we won't even have to speculate about what that something is. It's like something. Uh, but I don't see them trading up in this draft because the pressure on that player to deliver is going to be too much for everyone. I agree 100%. There's like trading up. Well, one, we also got the report that the Knicks are trying to keep as many assets as possible and trading up in the spot that they are right now from the eighth, unless they're going with the Hawks and Sure, we could swap and give more picks to the Hawks and stuff like that. But once again, we're trying to keep assets. And I think when they say assets, it's more uh, draft capital than it is necessarily players. And I don't see the Hawks wanting – I can see the Hawks wanting Frank, but I don't necessarily think the Knicks are going to give up Frank just to move up two spots to get – unless you think Killian Hayes is like that type of guy. And maybe like I, I – like, 
I don't see I don't see the Hawks will be being like, yeah, sure, we'll trade up two spots. Just give us Frank and uh, the eighth. Like that's not that's not going to fly. I don't that's not going to fly at all. So I don't know what we would actually trade with the Hawks to make that type of deal. But um, I I don't see us moving up. If anything, we move back. But even moving back, it's such a that's that's a questionable. Not a lot of teams do that. Not a lot of teams move back in the draft in the NBA. It's more of an NFL thing. But yeah. So do you have any more to add on to to that or? No, I think I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, you think Ewing failed the Knicks for some reason? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I said the so, yeah. I said the Knicks failed Ewing. Let's get that right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to how the draft is going to play out. It's the first. It's the first year where like we really don't know the first five picks. And so I think it's going to be so interesting that we're sitting at eight as to how it's, how it's going to flow out. The top 10 is going to be very interesting. And I hope it's a better draft class than, than the experts are anticipating. Me too. Uh, I mean, baseline role players and the league is mostly role players, right? But I think, look, I don't, no one has the full evaluation. We, like you always point out, we didn't get March Madness this year. March Madness really is like the true testament to like who's a true gamer. Not even, not forget March Madness. They even have the conference tournaments, man. Like it it has been tough, dude. Like that's, don't mind me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But hey, that covers us for the Knicks episode of this podcast. So, Ricey, you know, we're going to ask you to take us into commercial now. (laughs) <laughs> a word from our sponsor alright and we're back so John tell us what's for etc for today oh man how about this boring NBA finals Alex Ugh. that's all I got I think that's the best way that sums up for everybody I was on Twitter uh, for what was the second game on Friday and I was watching this game and I have never been, I usually don't get put to sleep by basketball games, but this thing was cradling me to sleep, man. It was like rocking me to sleep. I was waiting for something good to happen. Uh, the Heat tried to make a comeback and make it look interesting at the end, but I think what we're just seeing is that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are just two monsters when you have two guys in the top five of the league. That is just a deadly combination to try to overcome. And I think the shocking part of all of this is that Anthony Davis has been healthy. Knock on wood. Yeah, that's true. Like, uh, I think that was like a huge question coming in. Um, but yeah, man, like, I, it's, I mean, it's not their fault with Adebayo and Dragic out and breaking news while it won't be breaking news for you listening, but for you right now, Alex, breaking news, uh, Bam and Dragic are out for game three. Yo, that is okay. So they're not. Win- I don't like. Oh Jesus, that's bad. That's <laughs> bad. That's yeah. bad. They're now or never. Um, the Heat are never going to win an elimination game versus the Lakers as it is right now because LeBron wants to go home, um, which is a huge factor in motivation. But if the Heat are able to pull today off. Then they will win game two with Bam and Dragic out. And then the Lakers will win in six. So, you know, and, and it'll be a series. I just think, I mean, 
I put my tinfoil hat on for a second. NBA needs this to go at least five, like at least five. Le- Le- LeBron James is the king of five-game series, like at least five. It can't be a sweep. So uh, win the one here, and and, and they're not going to win a 3-0 elimination game. If it's 3-0, LeBron is going home, I promise you. He's going to like have those eyes like, yo, I need to want to see my family. So uh, they, I feel like this, this, this feels like a weird Sunday game. NBA needs it. Weird fouls. Like it feels like the Jimmy Butler – it's going to be Jimbo B, put his coffee hat on, and win this one. You really have this thing about uh, that coffee thing, man. I like the coffee thing. Me? Yeah, it, it's fine. I, I just think I love I, – I personally love Jim, uh, Jimmy Butler. He's, just, he's a character, um, and he just does not care about anyone. And the way he acts uh, – in the like with the coffee or like now he has like a coffee jacket or like he walked into the practice with uh Harrow's uh high school jersey on you know what i mean he's the man you know what i mean like he's he's whenever i see that in certain players i think that's how i would act if i was in the nba you know what i mean or if Harrow if i was on the heat and Harrow was my teammate like i would want to do the same thing so i just like that and like the coffee thing like him helping his teammates like making Everybody pay 20 bucks. Like, he's just, like, this is something I would do. I just, I love his character. Yeah, man. Shout out to Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler got a lot of heat leaving uh, Minnesota for that terrible practice uh, everyone reported about and even calling in, um, what's her name from uh, from ESPN? Uh, oh, my God. Why is her name slipping my mind? She does a jump. Uh, Rachel Nichols. Rachel Nichols. Thank you very much. Yeah. People, I have bad, bad time with, with names recently. I don't know why. I think that's my old age. I'm on, I'm on the other side of thirty now. Getting close. Um. So, what do you got? Lakers in what? Five, six, four? I, uh, I think it's going to be five, man. Because I agree with you on the extent that you know, if we want to put the tinfoil hat on, the conspiracy theory, and all that type of stuff, yeah, they need to get some money out of this. So I could see that asking for like the gentleman sweep because four games is not. Nah. Unless, as you pointed out, that the Lakers win tonight, they're going home at four. There's no way. There's yeah. There's no way LeBron's wedding it. Just like he want. This would be the ultimate. Like, because then this is really brings the conversation back to like, is he better than MJ? Is he like all this? Like, is he the greatest of all time? He's definitely a, one of the greatest players of all time. But it's. It, they will gladly ESPN will be generating content out of this, like to no end. If if they do a sweep, like honestly, like and it's just going to be disgusting. Like it's so weird because, of course, I'm usually more into the NBA Finals, even though it's like in June. Uh, but I'm in LA right now, and of course, social distancing and COVID is rampant here right now. <laughs> um, so there's no like parties or whatever, but. I'm not even interested in watching, you know, the Lakers in the finals. I'm in LA. It's super weird. Like I just, it's a really boring finals. And what's really interesting is the MLB has now in their set of playoffs and they, first of all, the whole best out of three series to start off was amazing. The stress was so high on every single pitch uh, for every single series. Like, the A's, the A's White Sox series was awesome. That went three. Um, even like the Astros, like 
acting all cool and like trying to get there. Bojo, like that's that's a cool story. You know what I mean? The Braves Red series was cool. Like Bauer did his thing, and of course the Yankees. Like I I, I don't want my team to ever be in there, but woo, like game one and game two, we needed game one and game two because of the stress of like putting Hap, you know, or Debbie Garcia. Game three was scary. That was just so cool, man. I'm glad the baseball is striving. Like, what do you think about the MLB postseason so far? It's been very interesting. You see Tampa. Tampa was like another one, too. And that's who we got to face. That I am really terrified for the Yankees going against Tampa. We did not do well against Tampa this year. And Out of my face, Alex. We don't need this going into game one. Right. You know what? F it. Yankees are going in, man. Yankees are going in hot. We're doing this. We're going to do this, man. I feel it, man. I feel it in my bones. Feel it in my bones. Oh, the Rays did kill us um, so far this regular season, but it's a whole new ball game. The first game one and game two are so important, man. We're gonna, it's going to be Cole versus Snell, and then we got Glasnow versus Tanaka. Those, I mean, those are the two craziest games. We can't lose those two. What's crazy is they're going to um, – they're in a – they're in a weird bubble, right? So the Rays and the Yankees are actually in the same hotel. Brett, uh, your boy Brett Gardner, he was complaining about it. He was like, "Oh, I have to see a couple of Rays like walking around." Like he's like, "It is what it is." Um, but the games. So it was at first, I was weirded out by the fact that there was going to be no playoff games over the weekend, like just like no baseball at all, like complete hiatus, and it was for them to travel. And now. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the ALDS. That's the Yankees race series, which is crazy. You know what I mean? Like every day, bang, 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 and like there's no time to like even think. So it's going to be uh, a crazy uh, series of events because, as you know, baseball is all momentum, man. So the, we, the momentum is going to be shifting up and down. So I'm really excited about game one and two. Oh, me too, dude. I am so excited about this. I re- First of all, Let's talk about game one. My boy, Brett Gardner. This is a Brett Gardner stand podcast, right? Just saying. Just saying. It's a stand podcast for sure. (laughs) Yo, Brett Gardner came in clutch, man. Game one. Love Gardy. Jesus. Um, But I am excited, man. I'm excited to watch this. I think the Yankees got the momentum. Game two, there were some questionable decisions by... uh, by our, our boy Aaron Boone, but my God, you know I Tanaka did a good job, and then we just we failed him, man. Honestly, like during that entire game, I was like, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" Just like God, he's back. He settled in after that first inning. Um, I'm listen, man. Cole's our ace, so I'm just gonna go. Cole has to take game one. Okay, and then Tanaka is going to have a shaky whatever. He's going to settle in. We're going to take game two, and we're going to see what happens after that. That's how, it, that's how I think it's going to play out. I, I agree 100% with you, and we really need to get these first two games in because it's, I don't know, man. Just like the Rays are no joke, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling the momentum behind the Yankees right now. I'm feeling it. I think the team's starting to come together. They, played, they had some major clutch plays. My one, my one request, Sanchez, play better defense, bro. My God, come on, dude. Off, dude. That strikeout to first base was rough. 
Dude, it's this is the issue we have with Sanchez. It's like he gets a little too lax behind the plate, and it's like, bro, you can't be doing this. This is this is playoffs, man. This is playoffs. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be uh, we'll be recording the Jets episode on Wednesday. So we'll be two games in. I'll be able to review those two games. Astros and A's are versing each other. They hate each other. That's going to be a great series. They fought this year. Padres, Dodgers, they hate each other. The whole, whole um, Tatis and bat flips, that's going to be awesome. And shout out to the Marlins, dude. Shout out to the Marlins for having nobody on their roster. Everybody's making fun of them for having the worst roster. Then they had the COVID issue. Everyone's making fun of Derek Jeter, too. Shout out to them for not only making the playoffs, winning the first round. And they have a chance versus the Braves, man. You heard it for, here first. Like, the Braves' offense is whack. Like, they have good pitching. But, like, Acuna could – you know, they could put it together. But I don't know, man. Watch out for the Marlins. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, I'm just excited, man, for baseball. But I agree with everything that you said. So Sounds good, man. Let's, uh, let's just hope the Astros lose, right? That's what we could all agree with. I uh, 100% agree with cheaters should always lose. The at the true asterisk, it, it belongs to them, all right? They should – that ship, playoffs, everything, their whole success. Altuve, I don't want to see you do anything anymore, bro. Anything anymore. So, I hate Correa, dude. I hate, I hate Correa so much. Oh, you, you and me both, brother. You and me both. But with that, that ties it up for another – episode of the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. Thank you for all our listeners for tuning in and working with us on the Jets episode that dropped because we're recording Sunday right now, so we know it dropped early this morning. If you're a Jets fan and you're waiting for win- for the Friday episode to drop and you need some therapy on what should we do with Adam Gase and whatnot, please go take a listen to that episode. But thank you all again for just tuning in. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think we need to work on. Um, we're just we're here for everyone, right? We're trying to build this community. But yeah, until next time, everyone. Catch you later. Let's go next.